And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, February 14th. That means it is Valentine's Day. And to celebrate Valentine's Day, we are going to talk about a group of players that we love more than any other group of players. I'm not even sure that's entirely true, <laughs> uh, but it's Pitcher Week. Day one of Pitcher Week. Day one of question marks. We don't know how many episodes this will morph into, but my guess is probably about three. If we do more than that, fantastic. We'll see. We'll see how things go. Uh, the focus of this episode will be pitchers going within the top 100 overall. Time permitting, we'll open that up and get down closer to the 150 range. But again, I'm going to err on the side of assuming it's going to take more time rather than less time. And since it is Valentine's Day, and if you're hearing this late afternoon, early evening East Coast time, and you forgot it was Valentine's Day, hopefully this is a reminder <laughs> you know, do, to save yourself if you're in some sort of uh, jeopardy as a result of forgetting what day it was. <laughs> yeah. And as a Valentine's to you, uh, the listener, you get... Uh, an undetermined amount of time talking about pictures. It's our Valentine's Day present to you. It's very kind, right? To, to do the podcast <laughs> we were going to do anyway, but uh, yeah. <laughs> talk, make it a little bit longer to just be more self-indulgent than usual with our, uh, our whole process. But uh, we'll begin up top. We're looking at pitchers to start in the top 30 overall based on ADP in the NFBC. So we're looking for the guys that are basically first and second round pitchers in a 15 team league right now. Uh, it's a interesting group because it's a lot of familiar names, but a couple of new faces up there after what we saw in 2022. By ADP, it goes Garrett Cole, Corbin Burns, Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, Brandon Woodruff, Jacob deGrom, and Zach Wheeler. Seven pitchers sitting inside that top 30. In most drafts, both Cole and Burns are pretty firmly first-round picks. Bueller, sometimes they're kind of a one-two turn guy. And I think you've got some pretty pretty significant disagreements right up top with, with the actual order. Not that there's necessarily any pitcher of that seven that doesn't belong in this group, but I think the order is something that you've got some some issues with. Yeah, I'm still working on that. Uh, Bueller versus Wheeler is really hard for me. Um, the pitching plus model uh, likes Wheeler a little bit better, but it's based more on location than stuff. The park favors Bueller. The projections favor Wheeler. Um, so uh, that's an interesting one that I think the market is favoring Bueller, despite uh, those 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 facts about Wheeler. Um, I think otherwise, I'm mostly in line with the market. Although uh, I have Degrom currently fourth, and where's the market's got him fifth or sixth? Yeah. I think the common refrain 
is something that I threw out there a month ago. So I feel about DeGrom is why now? Like you're paying so much with missing information right now. You might as well wait and see where he's at when spring training begins. For me, it's almost more about what schedule is he on? Is he just on the exact same schedule as everybody else? What we do see him throw, is he still in the high 90s? Like if he ticks those boxes, he's going to jump up in ADP. But at least then you've got the information. You're not getting enough of a discount to take the risk right now, even though what he can do on a perning basis would make him the number one pitcher in the pool still. I think on pure talent, pure stuff, He's still that guy, but we're just left to price in a lot of uncertainty with him right now. Yeah, my conditional formatting on my sheet has like a, a an extra special dark green for the number one uh, in each category, and he's number one in stuff plus, number one in pitching plus, and has the best park factor in baseball. Interestingly enough, Jeff Zimmerman has you know produced some projected IL days uh, for us this year. And he went and basically did it by hand. So uh, kudos to Jeff. A lot of work went into this. He did it with comps. So he basically said, here's the injury. Here are the comps for that injury and and for that player, that age, um, and that fastball velo, that sort of deal. And he came up with uh, projected 31 days on the IL. Now, that sounds that could be sound like a lot or a little. It's uh, it's sort of middle of the road. It's a little bit. It's a very fi- faint rosé. Uh, in the conditional formatting. So uh, it is one reason that I pushed him down, obviously, because Cole, Burns, and Woodruff are all projected for fewer days on the IL. Uh, They just seem like they're healthy in the prime of their careers and also have excellent stuff and pitching and all all the things you want, right? So that's why it's Cole, Burns, Woodruff for me. I, I, I struggle with the means testing of DeGrom as the fourth best pitcher because then I should be taking him in the second round at the turn. And yet it's just so much risk. I just feel like I wish I just knew a little bit more. Um, and, uh, and, and so that's that if there is a theme in my rankings is that um, I have, I've looked at the projected IL days and um, you know, pushed guys lower based on that uh, in the past. I hadn't really considered health the same way, but when you're in a in a draft, you really feel right. Like you feel that you're like, oh, like I would love to have Degrom on this team, but what's going on? <laughs> it's the difference between ranking players by position. Like if you do rankings and projections, or you just kind of set up a draft list, it's easier to look just at one position and say, I'd, I'd put these guys in this order. When you add in the temptation of going the other direction, taking mm-hmm. a hitter instead, feeling the added pressure of maybe needing to get some speed at the one-two turn or whatever that extra factor is, that's what starts to complicate the decision-making a lot more. Like you don't have the same clarity with one minute on the clock actually taking DeGrom with money on the line that you do when you're sitting there with your spreadsheet hour after hour after hour looking at every little detail and trying to get them just right like there is something very different about being in the actual situation of having to make the final call on it i have them eighth among pitchers right now i don't think that's that bad i think that means i would be in an awkward position probably in the right room i might have a crack at them in the back part of round two and I haven't had a draft position where that's been an option yet. So I haven't 
I haven't found out if I'm actually afraid to take him in that spot. But based on where I have him ranked, that's where I claim I would take him. Yeah, by the way, we're both in, in drafts right now, um, you know, doing some NFBC DCs. And, and that's where you sort of draft everybody and hold everybody. Um, and, uh, you know, a couple observations real quick. It does seem like it sucks to pick uh, sort of at the back end of the first round because I think that there's a talent drop-off in the third round. Um, you know, I think the beginning of the third round has a lot better players on it. Um, and then also a DeGrom update, breathless DeGrom update, first pick of the third round um, in a related matter. I ended up with uh, Sandy Alcantara, uh, who I have in the top 10, back of the top 10, um, and was lucky that he got to me at the back end of the, uh, of the third round because I went Devers Trout first. I was I was on pins and needles waiting for Julio Urias or Alcantara to fall to me. I've got Urias eight and Sandy Alcantara nine behind Bueller. I think that they're both excellent pitchers with excellent stuff, with low injury projections, good home parks in the prime of their uh, careers. Uh, I think Urias will have more Ks than Alcantara, but Alcantara uh, has a nice home run suppressing uh, park and, and a ton of ground balls. So. Um, I'm going to have a lot of teams where I end up with Urias and Alcantara as my first pitchers. Okay, so you're not necessarily hammering one of the pitchers in the first two rounds as a must-get. You're kind of thinking, take the bats and take my chances and see what happens in the next range. Because I look at this group, and I think if I'm more in the, the middle first-round position especially, I'm content to go ahead and jump on Corbin Burns if he's yeah. still there. Corbin oh, Burns is my number one ranked pitcher. He had a better strikeout rate, better home run rate, and better zone contact percentage than Garrett Cole last year. We're splitting hairs. They're both amazing. Um, it's just, hey, if you have to make the choice, you have to make the choice. So I'm Burns over Cole. I have Woodruff third, mostly because of Scherzer's age. Because on a blind mm-hmm. stats resume, Scherzer looks nearly identical to Cole. And it's the stuff plus model that really prefers Cole and kind of gives you that separation aside from the age difference. It's not just age, though, I would say. I mean, his injury projection is okay. It's about the same. It's a, it's a couple of days short of DeGrom's, actually. But I think the way he ended the season also kind of, maybe just recency bias, but it kind of, you know, makes us think, you know, of him as older. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. not being able to to, to start, having to, to, to postpone that start and sort of complaining of dead arm. You know, that sort of thing makes you kind of nervous, I think, um, because park wise, uh, he's in a he's in a better situation than than Woodruff. Um, and, uh, you know, park was uh, something that I've considered uh, with Burns and Woodruff versus Cole. Also, it looks like I was wrong. Uh, uh, my to, to clarify my point, I was just saying that I didn't think the NLDH was worth a lot in the negotiations. And in fact, I might be right about that because it seems like they've just agreed on NLDH and they're just swim moving past that. And it's, you know, not really part of the negotiations going forward. Most of what we're hearing is that NLDH is going to happen. So give uh, Cole and Burns uh, the same kind of lineups they're facing. Uh, Burns is going to face them in a, in a worse uh, park situation. Um, it does maybe uh, kind of beg the question should we have an opponent factor uh, in the rankings? Because Cole's opponents are going to probably be better hitters than Burns' opponents. 
yeah, the Rays and the Red Sox and the Jays present tougher matchups than even the Reds, who I think are the team in that division best built to have the DH. No, no question. The Cubs are a mess offensively. The Cardinals are are okay, but not great. So I, I think the the opponent factor would favor Burns as well. I think Walker Bueller is the other pitcher in this cluster that people are having a difficult time with. Kind of a, a surprisingly low K percentage last season and a higher zone contact rate than the other pitchers in this tier. He's at eighty six point two percent. A lot was made of some changes in his spin rate after the sticky stuff crackdown when that happened last summer. Where do you fall on Bueller in all of this? I mean, do you think he firmly belongs in that back of round one, early part of round two, or do you think he needs to slide a little bit in your leagues if you're going to end up with him? I, you know, ended up winning a fair amount of leagues last year with Bueller in the second round. Um, so I can't, I, I don't feel, I don't feel worse about Bueller than I did last year. And so his ranking is pretty much the same as I had last year. I think I had him fourth or fifth last year. Now I have him, you know, fifth or sixth. I don't, I don't think that what we saw last year should change. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I didn't see anything where I was like, oh man, he's in trouble now. Like, uh, still through ninety five. I guess it was a little bit less than uh, in twenty twenty. He he sat ninety six plus. Uh, but you can still see plus movement uh, vertically on the four seam and the curveball and the slider. Um, I don't know. I, I still see you know great horizontal movement on the cutter. Uh, and in terms of what happened uh, spin wise, um, you know I think that he was. If I'm, I'm checking right now, but I thought he was uh, of, of one of the group that uh, sort of got it back over time. Uh, so I'm checking that out right now, but uh, that's, that's what I think of him, you know, generally is that he's just a really excellent pitcher that, um, uh, I think we picked the nits with him. Do we pick the nits with him more than usual? He did not get it back. He did, uh, drop, uh, on the curveball from about 3000 to, uh, 2700. So he lost about 200 to 300, uh, uh, RPM on his pitches. But he, he still was excellent, right? I mean, was he bad? I don't have any reason to to fade him where he's going. I think the slightly lower K percentage compared to the other top-end pitchers is probably the thing that people would worry about the most. But similar to Urias, who's part of the very next group that we're about to talk about, it's not that much lower than Lucas Giolito, who's in that next group. And I think the year-over-year success with the approach that he's had, with the mm-hmm. pitch mix that he has... That should give us a lot of confidence. The ratios have been outstanding. And he's had three seasons now in the big leagues where he's had uh, a whip below one. And the season in 2019 where he didn't have it, it was at 104. That was the year of the rabbit ball. I mean, like, what what more do we want here? And I think since our, our game still depends heavily upon wins, he's in a great spot for that. The Dodgers are still good. They're still going to score runs. They're still going to have a good bullpen. So... I have no issues with Walker Bueller whatsoever. I think it's kind of weird that there's even a push for some people that want Zach Wheeler instead. And I know that Wheeler leads baseball in innings pitched since the start of 2020, which is if you told me that three, three or four years ago. Oh, yeah. Zach Wheeler is going to have a stretch of a year and change where he actually he's the workhorse of the league. I would have probably pushed back on that. So that's a pleasant surprise. But I have no reservations whatsoever about Bueller. And I think 
Scherzer versus Bueller is one of the tougher decisions because I do think if you're playing for an overall, you're going to be tempted to push for the extra K rate. But I think Scherzer's added injury risk probably sets that a little closer. Yeah, it's a it's a 10-day difference between Bueller and Scherzer. And Wheeler has one of the best uh, IL projections uh, on this sheet So uh, at 18 days. So that's, I think... Uh, that is something that concerned me, but I think our conversation has convinced me to push Bueller ahead of Wheeler. I have Bueller six and Wheeler seven now. Uh, another thing that convinced me was I started looking at the stuff plus numbers. Uh, Degrom has better, Burns has better, Cole has better, and that's the end of the list. Because the only other numbers I have that are higher among starters are Justin Verlander, and that's a number from 2020. So we don't actually—that's a big question mark, really. Uh, the other numbers that I have that are higher are Dylan Cease, who has the huge command question mark, and then a bunch of pitchers that were kind of uh, kind of relievers. Shane Baz, Michael Kopech, and Luis Patino uh, are the only other, and that's uh, and Dustin May. Um, so the list of people who have better stuff than Walker Bueller is very very short, and so I, I, you know, and it's and it's, it's a better number than Wheeler's got. So I'm I'm going to go with Bueller six. Um, and again, just that DeGrom is just floating around, just making me just so nervous just looking at him. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. But that's, I mean, that's we've covered the top 10. My surprise entry at the back of the top 10, which might differ from you and definitely differs from the market, but I I love him again from the stuff and standpoint and the youth. The IL projections are good. The park is good. Mr. Joe Musgrove, come on down at number 10. Yeah, I mean, by, by ADP, he's actually down quite a bit. He's in the 75 to 100 range. I'm guessing that's not going to hold very long but you'd put him up with this group that we're seeing in the 30 to 50 overall range which includes Bieber, Urias, Aaron Nola, Giolito and Sandy Alcantara right like you'd be thinking about Musgrove up in that range if that group ran out or the guys in that group that you might have ranked ahead of him were gone and you really felt like you needed a pitcher would you comfortably jump Musgrove up a little bit because the game of chicken you you can see you could like a guy two rounds more than his actual ADP. If you're positioned on the end of a draft order, mm-hmm. that's a really long wait for that pitcher to come back. And it's kind of like, well, hey, if you believe he's the best option on the board, and there's only a twenty percent chance that he's going to come all the way back around, you're three four turn. You're looking at him as the best pitcher versus your hitters. And you're saying there's a twenty percent chance he's coming all the way back around to my five six turn. 
maybe I have to go ahead and jump him up and, and be the person that takes him earlier than everybody else because I believe he belongs there. It is a difficult one, and it is one that basically I will face every time Urias and Alcantara get taken ahead of me in the third because that's what I'm going to be looking at. I'll be looking at my rankings that say uh, Joe Musgrove, Shane McClanahan, Charlie Morton are pitchers that I like You know, in that sort of 10 to 15 range that could very well get back to me. And so do I go for a third bat in a row and then hope uh, one of Musgrove, uh, Peralta, and McClanahan come back to me? I think by adding Morton in there, I think I have a 100% chance of getting one of those guys. But I also uh, have pushed my chance of getting a top 10 starting pitcher closer to zero. How essential do you think that is, though? I mean, I think we're seeing another year in which people are increasingly aggressive with pitching. It's been this way in the NFBC for a long time compared to a lot of other leagues out there. But I think we're seeing more formats follow suit because of the success people are having with these pitching heavy builds. We'll talk about relievers on their own episodes. That doesn't even account for the need to get saves. But do you feel like you can build a championship caliber squad in 2022 without having a top 10 pitcher do you feel good about it at least especially in in leagues right now where we're not we're not drafting teams yet that have in-season pickups we're still drafting draft champions leagues that what you have on draft day is what you have all season so how essential is it to have a top 10 guy the week-to-week variance i think on pitching is way higher than it is on hitting And I don't know if I have numbers to necessarily prove that. Maybe it's a gut thing. But just think about the way we attack. Like there's our our friend, Michael Simeon, SP streamer. You know, do we have a, you know, H streamer out there? (laughs) We probably should. I mean, I I think there's some some funny things we do in certain parts of the player pool that we should probably just do to the whole player pool. Right. Yeah, it is true. We like I have been thinking a little bit more about hitters as fungible as guys that will move in and out as guys that I'll pick up and drop based on, you know, my needs for a given week. Like I have thought about hitting streaming a little bit more, but I, I just think that like. You know, uh, certain pitchers will just have these like obvious matchups where you want them and obvious matchups where you can avoid them. And I think that you can make your staff better by managing it. So, you know, I think that it's easier to make a pitching staff better by managing it well, even in a draft and hole situation, right? Because you just have you you have a ton of pitchers at your disposal. And you say, okay, this week, am I going to take this guy with two starts a year? Or am I going to take this guy with one start against an easier opponent? Blah, 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 you know? Uh, and I think you can make those good decisions well and make your staff play up. Uh, as for success that people are having, uh, you know, I don't know. I ended up with uh, six times my input in NFBC last year, and uh, I wouldn't say that any of my builds are pitching heavy. Uh, I it's pitching heavy for me. I've pushed I pushed a starting pitcher into the top four rounds. I do want a pitcher in the top top four rounds. But uh, in none of those uh, did I go pitcher, pitcher uh, in the first and second. Or, and in very few of those did I take a pitcher in the first. And, and the one time I did take a pitcher in the first, it was Shane Bieber, which was just, I don't know why I did it. And I still won. And I, it's the weirdest collection of facts about one of my leagues. <laughs> so Bieber had a shoulder injury last year and he made it back, I think, for one appearance at the end of the season, which gives us a slight glimmer of hope that he had a normal offseason about as normal as anyone could have given the circumstances there was a question that came into our mailbag maybe a week or so ago and it was just about 
what to make of Bieber as someone who didn't have to go through that prolonged period with the sticky stuff crackdown. Like we didn't get to see the before and after from him the way we did for a lot of other pitchers. I just hadn't really thought about pitchers that missed time the way Bieber did in that light before. So uh, what are you doing with Bieber as the guy that sort of leads this second tier and, and is kind of sitting there with the Grom for me in terms of how scared I am to actually draft him where he goes, even though I understand that there could be a nice payoff if he actually is completely healthy. I'm frightened to death of him, but it's not. it doesn't have to do with the sticky stuff. Uh, we have a 52-day projected IL stint for him. Uh, it's, I think the, like one of the top three worst it's up there with, uh, Clayton Kershaw, uh, Pablo Lopez, uh, Jose Urquidy, unfortunately, Mm. um, and, uh, Carlos, oh no, Corey Kluber, uh, Alex Cobb, Husker, you know, so, so like, you know, Oscar, you know, so there's like, you know, there's, there's that, that injury risk as for the sticky stuff thing. I've actually thought that. Uh, and I've looked at, you know, September stuff versus uh, versus the regular season and, and things like that. Um, I think that basically people are overrating the effect of the ban in their drafts. Um, and the reason that I would say this, you know, one of the things that came up was people were like, oh, you got Judge Musgrove in the top 10. Didn't he get uh, decimated by the sticky stuff ban? And uh, I went into Musgrove's thing. The, the the spin wasn't down at all. You know, like he didn't lose any spin. Uh, and I think he just had like a not as good second half because his first half was amazing. And maybe there was a little bit of fatigue, you know. So I, I think that we're going to conflate a lot of sort of other things that happened for a player. And um, and also ignore the players that got it back. I, you know, people were like, you Darvish after the sticky stuff band was terrible. I was like, but he got like 95% of his spin back. Yeah, his injury, late season injury, I think, was more of a problem than the sticky stuff crackdown. You know, and then I don't hear it at all with like somebody like Trevor Rogers, where I'm like, I think his his slider was not as good afterwards. And I'm not saying that he's terrible because of it, but I think it's just really hard uh, to to know. And then you have a guy like Wheeler, uh, Walker Bueller, that we were just talking about, where yes, he did lose the spin, but he didn't really u- lose any production. Or Garrett Cole, who lost the spin, but his stuff number was better in the second half. So I have a hard time. I, I'll I'll do this because, uh, in the interests of science, um, I, I'm not trying to. I'm not throwing any of these guys under the bus. Uh, you know that James Karinchak is had lost the most uh, stuff in the second half, and it was probably was related to the spin drop. Um, you know, uh, Craig Kimbrell's on that list. Uh, Richard Rodriguez is number two. We that's the sort of stuff we knew. Uh, but when it comes to starting pitchers who lost the most stuff in the second half, uh, John Means, Kevin Gossman, and it's not spin related for him. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Uh, you know, well, his Means spin is hurt. Were, yeah, I, I think Gossman just uh, either some fatigue or just some stuff he was messing around with. His second half stuff number was still pretty good anyway. Uh, Carlos Rodon, I would say injury more than anything. Yeah, fatigue. Uh, Garrett Richards, I, <laughs> I don't know. Yes, maybe the spin. <laughs> he kind of told us all it was. So. <laughs> what you're saying is this entire group of pitchers, even though they had massive changes and stuff, they're not all necessarily in the Winnie the Pooh situation. Which is with what? The hand in the honey pot. 
Oh yeah, that's sticky, what I'm saying. Sticky yeah, hands it's from, just you it's, know, it's hard up. to know exactly. I mean, yes, Garrett Richards probably, James Krunchak, yes, probably, uh, but it's not always the same thing. You know, uh, Freddie Peralta's on this list uh, as having lost a lot of stuff in the second half. He also had an injury in the second half. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of times it is injury. Even spin rates can go down due to injuries. So, uh, in fact, spin rates were used by some teams. You know, decreasing spin rates were used by some teams. It's kind of an injury finder, injury projector. So, uh, it's a a difficult time. And it's so so annoying uh, to have a a model that I'm I'm very proud of that's doing very well that uh, was developed uh, and can only use Hawkeye stats. So it was developed in 2020, COVID-shortened year, uh, and then, uh, you know, came to adulthood in a year in which they had a sticky stuff breakdown, (laughs) you know, in the the second half. uh, And now uh, we'll be forced to deal with uh, probably yet another new ball (laughs) and hopefully uh, a full season. But uh, woe is the pitching plus model. It would just like a full normal season, please. It's kind of like our podcast. We started after opening day in 2019 because... That's when podcast The Athletic launched. I was only hired in March of that year. Weird time to launch a podcast for sure. So that was that was a little weird. And then 2020 happened. Weird year for a podcast. And then we had a pretty normal year in 2021. And now we're probably going to have a shortened season of some kind in 2022. Which you is just shut awesome. your mouth. Just a fantastic four year run for uh, baseball. Who's your surprise tenth guy? There's got to be. You got to have a little bit of a surprise there. I I, I noticed that it's a it's a place where you're like, hmm, who am I going to put in? Wheeler, Urias, DeGrom, Bieber, Giolito. Oh, you have Bieber in the 10. top 10? I have Bieber in there right now. I am. Mm. It's just like the DeGrom shame, situation. Shame, I have, shame. I've yes, never, you're means testing never it. You're seriously not going to pick Bieber it. there. <laughs> right. So it's it's like not, he's nine right now with a red down arrow. And it's yeah. just a question of well, where where does he actually go? Here's my question for you out of this tier two group. Again, Bieber, who because of health risk, I think probably falls at least to the back of this group for me. Urias, who's 16th in innings pitch since the start of 2020, so those workload concerns have finally gone away. Nola, who we've talked about before, he's really like, I think there are three views on Aaron Nola. It's he's an undervalued SP1, he's exactly at the right price, and he's an overvalued actual SP2. So I'm kind of curious where he falls for you. And then there's Giolito, who had a Patriots Day meltdown that really tanked his overall numbers and a Pretty significant sort of way, good zone contact percentage. And then Sandy, who you love, of those pitchers, of those five guys, who is the most likely to make the leap and be a possible first round pitcher in 2023? Because I think if you see one out of that group who could make that jump, and I guess maybe Musgrove, because he's for you, like in your top 10, mm. he could be a part of the conversation. He could be one of your options here, too. That to me seems like the guy you'd want to build around with your rotation if you either felt like you liked the hitters better than the top guys or if you just missed out because of the way the board happened to go. Yeah, I go. Uh, so I've got Urias Alcantara in the top 10. Uh, so I think those that, that, that's the answer. In fact, I think Urias has already done it. You know, I think it's right. one of those things where he, he already did it and we just didn't notice or, or some people didn't notice. Um, so, uh, like, I love getting Urias in the third. And I think Alcantara is basically there. But, you know, some people didn't notice that he kind of completely changed his pitch mix and that his results were amazing after he did that. Um, you know, my next group is Musgrove, Webb, Peralta, McClanahan. 
uh, Morton Giolito Nola. So I'm not going to answer your. I'm not going to uh, help at all because I have Nola ranked 16th, which is exactly between undervalued SP1 <laughs> and correctly priced SP2. <laughs> well, uh, I think I think compared to ADP, you'd say he's a little overpriced. So he's more of a good two than a surefire. Blood. Well, he has average stuff according to my model and really good command. Um, and he's in a, in a tough park. So, uh, you know, the bat has him projected to be kind of a top 10 type pitcher. Uh, and I think that's because he has always had these excellent K minus BBs, but I think the park and the stuff can, you know, I think he kind of has earned some bad home run rates is basically what I'm saying. And, uh, I didn't want to reach for him, uh, over like a Urias or Alcantara in the third, so he just started dropping in my ranks. Now, he might go ahead of Morton, who's older and has injury risk, and maybe NLDH. So maybe Nola rises all the way to 14th or something. But um, you know, Shane McClanahan's stuff numbers uh, dwarf Nola's. The park is much better. And though innings are a concern, I think at this point, Shane McClanahan's getting closer to the take the cuffs off and let him go. Uh, so to answer your question, other than Urias and Alcantara, my answer is Peralta, Freddie Peralta and Shane McClanahan. Those guys I have in the top 15 right now. And I could see them just almost by just repeating what they did last year in bigger bulk, uh, joining the top 10. Yeah, let's get to this tier three again, based on NFBC ADPs. This group includes, uh, we're talking pick 50 to pick 75, that range. Robbie Ray is right in there. Uh, Freddie Peralta, who I think is now four-pitch Freddie instead of fastball Freddie. <laughs> nice transformation for him. Uh, Chris Sale is in this range. Logan Webb and Lance Lynn. So it's actually a, a small group of pitchers for 25 picks. Seems like this is where everybody who got some pitching early is starting to backfill with some nice early round bats that slipped just a little bit. Robbie Ray's transformation truly amazing. I never thought he'd be the kind of guy that could lower his walk rate the way that he did. What he accomplished last year actually came with a pretty bad home run rate. He's always had a home run problem, so I think that's just kind of who he is. He also had a 90.1% left on base percentage. I didn't notice that until recently. So I think some of the normal regression is already priced in. If people were fully on board with Robbie Ray repeating, he would go 15 or 20 picks earlier than he does. Are you buying the ATC projection on Ray, or are you buying the bat projection? Because I think there is still a lot of variance when you're talking about a guy that hasn't had a walk rate that was this good for very long. I think a season is sticky enough for that to say it's it's real. But we're talking about a gap. The bat has him at a 412 ERA and a 125 whip. ATC's got him at 361 and 115. Both systems have him with a boatload of strikeouts. You know you're going to get that. So that's where your your floor is at, I think, at this point. Where do you fall on the ratios for Robbie Ray? It's interesting. Where is the source of the difference? So ATC has a 1.4 home runs per nine, and the bat has 1.6. For his career, he's been 1.4, but for the last three years, he's been close to basically 1.6. Robbie Ray has, so... I kind of I think I take the bat on that one. Uh, the bat has a has a lower left on base rate. Uh, ATC has been projected for seventy seven. The bat seventy four. Career seventy seven. 
So I guess what ATC is saying is he can strike out uh, batters and leave them at the plate and leave the the base runners on base. There is a connection between strikeout rate and left on base. So uh, I'm surprised that that is the major difference uh, between a 412 ERA and a 361, but I I buy it. You know, that's what I see when I go across the line. Also, ATC, this is where I don't agree with ATC. ATC has him with a 3.28 walks per nine, and the bat has him at 3.78, which I'm just going to go with that one because he's never had a 3.28 walk rate except for last year. The final truth could just be 385 120 could be right in the middle of the two projections that's absolutely an outcome that you could see and kind of talk yourself into and maybe that's the safer way to go which in this range is not it's not going to hurt you when you talk about someone who's going to be among the league leaders and strikeouts uh, so long uh, as he stays healthy so i don't yeah, have robbie not, ray yet i probably won't get shares of him because i have him ranked 29th right now and i just i don't think that uh, you know there are guys with uh uh, you know, he's got the highest ADP of the group around him. Like, basically, I have him in the group with uh, Pablo Lopez, Frankie Montas, Sean Manaya, and uh, Max Freed. And I do like him better than all those guys. You like him better than all those guys? I do like him better than all those guys, but I'm not... Well, if I jumped him up, then he would be up against Jack Flaherty, Carlos Rodon, Yu Darvish, Jose Barrios, which I definitively don't like him as much as those guys. It's it's fun, man. This is he's a fun pitcher to try and figure out for this year. I mean, I think in this group, I like Freddie Peralta more. Shocker, the Brewers fan likes Freddie Peralta more than mm-hmm. Robbie Ray. I like Chris Sale more than Robbie Ray too. I think it's just that with Sale, we had him coming off of Tommy John last year, had a couple other issues on his way back as well. In my head, a fully recovered Sale can't possibly be less productive than even an improved Robbie Ray. It just mm-hmm. doesn't check out in my mind. We're talking about like a coin flip sort of decision. They're next to each other in my rankings, but in in the moment, it'd be really hard for me to take Ray over sale, even though the market seems to have a slight, slight preference there. The Freddie Peralta question, and this is why it's like I have to just back up and, and ask other people what they think. I keep getting stuck on the fact that Freddie Peralta has a walk rate, had a walk rate last year, 9.7%. Pretty much identical to Dylan Cease, 9.6%. What Freddie Peralta has done exceptionally well, in addition to making his arsenal more dynamic, he has what I think we can call a skill in hit suppression. And part of that is he's got a great defense behind him, but part of it's also the batted ball types that he allows. Freddie Peralta has only allowed 106 hits in 173 and two-thirds innings since the start of 2020. Obviously, he spent a lot of time in the pen in the shortened season, but there's always been something about how like how hitters pick him up that seems to make it very difficult for for them to hit him. And even though he's got a lot that of elite extension, right, he's got a lot of risk because of the walk rate. I think he offsets some of it because of this really strong ability to suppress hits, which. That to me would be like, what's the difference between Freddie Peralta and Dylan Cease? That to me is the best explanation of how Peralta could be a notch better than Cease, even though their their underlying numbers can look very similar. And the location plus was better for Peralta. 98.6 for him. 97.7 for Shohei Otani. 97.2 for Dylan Cease. Those are the worst location plus numbers in uh, my top 40 
along with Lance McCullers and Blake Snell. Those are the types of players you would expect, right? Those are the types of players you think, oh, good pitchers, but what about the command? Um, but Peralta has slightly better than all of them. And I think that he's like a good candidate for like the Tyler Glasnow approach in Tampa where just give him one car- one target. You know, give him a target for high in the zone and the fastball will jump, explode through that target and high and the other stuff will fall off of that. Um, and don't expect him to hit corners. Just just work the vertical game with him. His stuff plus is through the roof. I mean, he's right there with Musgrove um, and Morton and Shohei Otani and Yu Darvish. Uh, you know, all just really excellent stuffists. I don't think the command is reliever level. I'm not worried about that anymore. I think the arsenal is wide enough. I've got him uh, 13th right now, and uh, I love him. He he like if I think if Urias Alcantara you know aren't there for me in the third, I I roll the dice and want Musgrove, uh, Peralta, and McClanahan on the way back, and uh, you know I'm actually having a hard time placing um, Peralta and McClanahan. I know that the ADP for McClanahan is 50 points lower, so that's kind of crazy, but mm. I don't I don't see why. Yeah, McClanahan. We'll get to him just a little bit. I. I find myself wanting to draft him pretty much every single time we get to that round seven range. And part of that's waiting on pitching. Part of that's the eye test. Part of that's the underlying numbers. It's a little bit of everything uh, with him. Uh, Logan Webb goes in this range. I was trying to find flaws in the profile. I just don't see much. I mean, there's more contact in the zone because of his ground ball heavy tilt. So I don't think you have to worry a lot about that. What arguments are there against Logan Webb at this point as a guy that I have 18th among starting pitchers and that the market has pretty firmly at a similar spot. The only uh, thing that I that, that, that jumped out for me is the injury projection. I think that people don't understand that there is some injury risk here. It's one of the uh, highest. It's the highest injury list projection in my top 20. We're at 35 days. Uh, he's had shoulder issues. He's had arm issues uh these go back to his minor league playing days and even last year last season he had injuries so i don't really have any other issue with him at all like uh, since he went to the sinker he now has a legit three to four pitch mix you know the the stuff the stuff went through the roof as soon as he changed the sinker you know, the easiest way to change your stuff plus actually is your pitching mix. <laughs> uh, and he he's a good dis- description of that. He has good command. He has the best ballpark, the home ballpark in baseball. Uh, you know, he, I've got him 11th right now. And the only reason he's behind Musgrove, Alcantara, and Urias is because of that injury risk. I think the other pitcher in this group is the guy that I might be furthest off uh, from the market on in the entire like top half of the pitching pool. Lance Lynn. I, I I don't know if I'm a giant fish for just not accepting this innings eater with good ratios for what he is, but I, I think the situation here projection-wise is actually quite a bit like it is with Robbie Ray. You see a pretty strong disagreement in where we're going. I wonder if I've got a little extra bias because of what happened to him in the postseason, that late kind of fade you know getting hit by the Astros maybe he's still glued in my mind the last thing I remember about Lance Lynn's season wasn't necessarily a good thing ATC's got him at 373 with a 118 whip almost 200 K's the bat 412 124 
even if you split the difference, you're kind of in that same range you are with Ray, and you're not getting that same bucket of strikeouts that you're getting with Ray. So I see Lynn as kind of a fringy top 30 guy that goes probably two to three rounds earlier than he should. Is there any reason why I could be wrong about that? Current working number on on Lynn is 35 for me. But uh, yeah, I could see him being right there where I have Ray at 30. So I agree with you. Um, I just think that the I think the upside is described. You're paying for their best seasons, right? The but it up, feels like. The upside has happened. There is, there's nothing beyond what they did in the past, uh, and there's only down. If they, if, they fell, if they fell to me where I, where I like them, you know, then I'm not, I'm, they're not on a do not draft list. I have seen this. Have you seen this uh, concept of, of culling the draft list and, and creating do not draft players? It seems to be more popular this year based on the secondhand news gathering yeah, I mean, that I've people, done through Twitter. People are, are talking about it more. I almost never have... I, I do have players that I don't end up with. Like, you know, the, the way that I rank... Um, I don't know who, who, who stands out here. The way I rank Robbie, Robbie Ray. The way I rank Shane Bieber right now. I'm not going to end up with shares of them. But I will if they drop to where I have them. Right. Yeah. If Lance Lynn, whose ADP is 72 right now for the last two weeks if we're in tgfbi in a few weeks and the room takes a position similar to mine where everyone's kind of looking at him and saying yeah i don't really see it and he ends up falling two or three rounds that changes enough about the value for me to be interested in the right build if i'm short on pitching if i took a little bit of injury risk earlier because i think he is more of a workhorse like he's he's more of that guy that you expect to be healthy throughout the season i would assume his his projections low dude is it high it is 36 37 days Hmm. it's similar to it's basically the same as rodon's which is kind of amazing to me that's really surprising i i just in my head rodon has much higher lynn had tj surgery you know like he's it's not like he's he has been a workhorse but he also has had issues but if we're sitting there Again, 40 to 50 picks later than he typically goes, and he's still out there. I'm going to at least consider it. Yeah, I'm start, I'm starting to get interest around 90, I think, because, you know, around 90, you have uh, you have Dylan Cease, and, you know, they're very different pitchers. So depending on who I had before, if I had taken the chance on Freddie Peralta as my number two or, or you know, even my number one, then I don't want necessarily to, to double up on that profile and get Cease. I might want to pair that with Lynn instead. You know what I mean? Yeah, profiles are a factor straight up in a neutral situation, though. I do like Cease more than Lynn for this season. And I have that, and that's how I have it too. But I have them within like three or four picks of each other, you know, and their ADPs are so different. But the Cease's ADPs in the 90s, if if Lance Lynn's fell to around 90 and I had Freddie Peralta on my team, I might take Lynn over Cease in, in that sort of specific situation. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's get to this last group for this episode. We're talking about the pitchers in the pick 75 to 100 range in ADP, a much larger group, which is why this is going to be enough to carry us to the end of this episode. This group includes Max Fried, Kevin Gossman, Jose Barrios, Jack Flaherty, Joe Musgrove by ADP, but you've already drafted him because of this podcast because Eno told you to, so it's, mm-hmm. it's Told you to get him earlier. Dylan Cease is in this range. Trevor Rogers, Luis Castillo, Frankie Montas, Charlie Morton, you Darvish, Alec Manoa, and Justin Verlander. All within this range. This is a loaded group. You could end up with two of these guys reasonably easy, depending on where you're at in the draft order. Maybe if you jump one up a little and wait for the other one to fall. Uh, I think I want to start with Freed. I keep seeing little little buzz uh, on, on him on Twitter where people seem to like him as the guy that could pop and be an SP one, the underlying numbers, the, the things I don't like about Lance Lynn from a skills perspective are things that Max Fried also struggles with, right? It's a lower K rate. It's not necessarily going to be a 220 K season, even if you get 200 innings from Freed this year. So that's, part of the concern that being said you're not getting 220 k's from most people in this range so uh, do you see any of the things that the crowd might see as it pertains to freed possibly having one more level that he could reach i don't i don't get it i don't get it uh i have freed uh, right there with robbie ray in the the problem child part of the, the rankings uh he's projected uh to have a ten dollar value so that's lower than most of the numbers names you've said by uh you know the bat projection uh as a comparison charlie morton is a 13 dollar pitcher jack flair is a 12 dollar pitcher jose barris is a 14 dollar pitcher so the projections don't like him my stuff model doesn't like him has a 965 uh for stuff on him um and the ballpark is sneaky tough uh it is a bad it's a hitter's ballpark and then uh, we're going to have DHs in the, in the National League. So, uh, by all likelihood. So, I don't think he gets that easy, soft landing at the back end of every lineup he faces. I don't think the ballpark is going to necessarily help him. I don't, I don't get it. I, uh, you know, I don't really get it. Maybe the model is missing a little bit about his, uh, you know, his arm angle, but it's not an ex- as extreme as Ian Anderson's. 
you know, we should be capturing in the model how good his curveball is, and it is it is a good curveball, and his slider is better. But it doesn't love his fastball. Uh, he sits at 94, but if he if he drops back down to 93, I think that could be meaningful for him. Um, so anyway, a big variance on the projections, though, I will admit. Uh, 403 from the bat and 344 from ATC again. Mostly because of left on base again. I just didn't come away with a, an obvious, I must draft him in this range. I've got him a few spots ahead of Lynn because he's younger and he could keep tweaking you could add a little velo i guess a little more velo that could happen so i don't know like i I don't dislike him i just didn't see something in the profile that made me as excited about him as some other smart people seem to be this group just generally there's nobody that just grabs my lapel in this group you know what i'm saying like i i i kind of like uh justin verlander and charlie morton the best the old guys they're projected to be uh, the best value of all the names you mentioned, other than Barrios. Um, and um, they have excellent stuff numbers. Uh, they've had excellent track records. Uh, Morton, uh, they're both coming off injury. Morton's injury is easier. Uh, but I don't know that I am targeting. Uh, I, I target Morton. I want Morton where I can get him. Uh, but I, I've seen him also rise in drafts. Uh, some drafts really like Morton, and I just can't get him quick enough. Um, but in general, this group, uh, I think the group is okay. And, and I think I'll just take one of the group, you know, is there, is there a name on this group? You're like, I need this guy. Even Flaherty has a 40 day IL projection. Um, yeah. and, and how much of his home park value is, is going to be changed by the NLDH. I, something interesting to, for me to think about, but, uh, no, no name on that list that you just said is somebody I need to have. I tend to skew to the older part of this list as well. I mean, I think with Darvish, we're getting an old discount on him now. He's 35. I think the key difference for him versus Morton, who's a few years older, is that Charlie Morton does not have the same home run problem oh gosh, that you Darvish has had forever. Yeah. And in the shortened season, it went away, and I think I maybe got duped by that with mm. Darvish in the sense that I thought, well, it's Petco. Right, it's, it's it's but he was at Wrigley for a long time. Wrigley should help temper those homers. Home runs are just part of of what you get uh, with you, Darvish. I think I think Morton over Darvish definitely makes sense. Darvish is undervalued. I think Morton was more undervalued earlier in draft season, but the market is starting to get on board with what he brings. I think there's a few really tough toss ups. I think. Even within the Toronto rotation, I think Kevin Gossman versus Jose Barrios. Oh, I've got them twenty one, twenty two. I think Barrios is a little bit safer. I know yeah. Pete Walker's work with Robbie Ray was really impressive, but you take Gossman out of Oracle and you start looking at the home run issues he had on the road last year. I think that's a bigger part of his 2022 story. I mean, moving back into the AL East, yeah, he's not going back to Camden Yards again, but it's a difficult place to pitch that's going to, I think, highlight one of his weaknesses. I think given that they're dealing with the same circumstances, it makes it a little easier to look at them A versus B. And I think having seen Barrios deal with it a little bit already gives me that little extra bit of confidence of I'm looking at these two guys in this range. And I don't know what it is with Barrios, why I think there's still one more level he can reach. I've always believed he could possibly take that leap. And with Gossman, it kind of just feels like a guy that did everything he could possibly do in San Francisco and has nowhere to go but down. So it's a kind of a psychological problem for me to choose him over Barrios given the circumstances. 
Yeah, yeah. They're also in a really interesting spot where I've got Barrios right next to Trevor Rogers right now, and uh, you know the pitching plus model says Barrios is much better than Rogers um, the by stuff and location, and yet there it is. The park factor for Toronto is a one hundred four runs park factor, and the one in in Miami is ninety five. Um, and the way that I ran it through a little, just a mini park adjustment that I did, uh, to my model, uh, Rogers comes out ahead. So I don't know if that's overrating the value of the home park, but that is probably one of the bigger park differences in baseball. I also was thinking about the uh, Rogers versus Manoa, just as young guys that took huge steps forward. If you're looking at one, you're probably looking at both. And I think I trust Rogers' arsenal a little bit more. He goes to the third pitch a little more often. I think that gives me a, a nudge of extra confidence on top of the park factors as well. Again, we're talking about two guys that I genuinely do like as pitchers where they're going. But if you have to choose, for me, the edge goes to Rogers right now. Yeah, and I and I have some would you rather's for Alec Manoa that ended up pushing him down. Like I was just looking at you know Alec Manoa versus Lance McCullers Jr. and I was like I'd rather have Lance McCullers Jr. You know, uh, I was looking at Alec Manoa against Logan Gilbert and I decided I'd rather have Logan Gilbert. You know, I looked at him against Zach Gallon, Dylan Cease, and I'd rather have Zach Gallon, Dylan Cease. So I was a little surprised where Manoa ended up, but it's a really bad park factor. The stuff numbers were good, but not you know through the roof like they were when he debuted. Uh, he ended up falling for me a little bit. Yeah, Flaherty's injury risk is a concern for sure. I mean, the park and defense are good. The skills are solid. It really just comes down to health. So if you look at him as more of a health risk, I totally understand it. I don't think the price is unfair. I think this this is a point where you could get a guy that actually does creep into the back of the top 10. I'm not sure Jack Flaherty has the skills to go higher than that to like max out and be a top five pitcher again. I know he was kind of flirting with that ADP a couple of years ago. I still think it's more of a top 10 to top 15 sort of finish if health breaks his way. The Dylan Cease situation, I really like Cease this year. I think he's the guy that of these non-olds, I'm most excited to draft in this range because I think he can be, he can be special. He could be kind of the way Robbie Ray was a year ago, or he could be, more like Freddie Peralta with the ratios. I think that's a possibility that Dylan Cease brings to the table. And I think maybe the past track record drags down the projections a little bit because it was ugly before last season. It was really ugly at the big league level before what we saw a year ago. I mean, the walk rate was always a major problem and it's still a little bit of an issue. The home run rate was really bad in 19 and 20. But I'm in on Dylan Cease to continue building on what we saw throughout last season yeah so he's a little difficult to talk about because we were talking about spin and (laughs) uh he did lose uh right around enforcement lost like 400 rpm that's a lot 2743 yeah uh three 400 rpm and then he got a lot of it back so I don't, I want, I just, I'm going to remain agnostic about how, what happened there. Perhaps there was an injury. I mean, just a really poorly timed injury, uh, but he got it all back. So, you know, his, most of his, uh, his, he's, he was on that list that I said of, of guys that lost uh, stuff in the second half, I believe. Uh, didn't, didn't I say his name? 
Yeah, see. I think he did come up in that uh, in that group earlier. So maybe a little more of a Winnie the Pooh situation going on with Cease. But if he got it back, no, I'm no, not that worried about it. No, he's a stuff gainer. What? Yeah, even with the spin drop. Yep. That's because weird. he got the spin back, and then uh, you know did some other things too. So. Hmm. don't put Dylan Cease in that like oh lost spin sucked category in your head you know what I mean even though I'm he did really surprised bit. really surprised with the spin drop the stuff went the way that it did but yeah there's other ways to, to get there I suppose I generally think that if someone is fading somebody based on spin type stuff that I would I would jump on that I, I think that it's been over overrated and I'm the one who broke the damn story <laughs> Let's talk about Luis Castillo for a moment. Oh, God. So, okay, here's the thing. 2019 looks like an outlier for him now in a good way. Like That looks like a career year, and everything else around that looks like it's more in line with the expectations we should have for him. 2018, 430 ERA, 122 whip. Shortened season 2020, 321 and 123. And then last year, 398 and 136, you're going to get strikeouts. Like that 2019 season with the 114 whip, Probably that happened with have. a t- career-high walk rate that year. Yeah. So I, I just, I, I, don't, I don't dislike Luis Castillo, but I think we're, we're sort of chasing a level that really doesn't seem like it's going to come back. Like, I, I think it's... I think if you expect 2019 to happen again, you're probably going to be very disappointed. He's also fascinating from a pitch, uh, like a stuff pitching plus type uh, aspect, because I have talked to uh, two other people that have stuff models in the last week about Castillo's fastballs. My model says they're around average. Even after his uh, stuff improvement in the second half, he was on the list of the biggest stuff improvers because uh, you know we all we've talked about it on this podcast a lot. He added a bunch of velo. My 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 podcast uh, my my model says that his soft his sinker is, is better than his four seam and his sinker is basically average. His four seam is a little bit below average. I talked to one other group. I'll let them remain nameless just uh, because I haven't gotten their approval to, to, to share this stuff with you. But one other one said his sinker was elite and his fastball was uh, bottom 20th percentile. And then there's another model out there that says that his sinker and his four seam are both elite. I, and that's frustrating. And I know that, you know, there's there's many people who are rolling their eyes or annoyed by that sort of in the way, same way that there's three different wars. But, you know, the stuff plus is a construct and there are going to be slight differences in how it's it's applied and what happens and what you put in and sort of stuff like that. Um, I'm looking into uh, adding vertical approach angle because of this conversation, because of Luis Castillo. However, vertical approach angle the angle at which the ball kind of crosses the plate is um location specific right it kind of matters where you know high and low you are you're kind of crossing the plate that will change the angle and so that makes it really tough for the model because uh if it's location specific then is it stuff or is it location um 
any case, we're going to think that through. We're going to see if we can improve the model. It's possible that he's better than the Stuff Plus model says he is. And so I have him ranked a little bit higher than a person with a 99 Stuff Plus and 102 Command Plus should be put, especially in a park like his. So I have him a little bit higher than my model says he is because of the chance that the model got, has it wrong. But I would also say to the people that say that, you know, he's elite uh, maybe the both the fastballs are elite and, uh, you know, we're, I'm missing something because he's an elite pitcher that, you know, we have 707 innings now with a 3.72 ERA and a 1.22 whip and uh, a strikeout rate that's just is, is above league average, but not, you know, not elite. I, I just wouldn't call it an elite set of circumstances. I think he's a really good pitcher that just happens to excel at things that the modern game does not value as much, and for reasons we know. He's a ground ball pitcher. He's a change-up first pitcher. These things lead to hits. These things lead to large large whips. They don't always lead to strikeouts. Yeah, especially, I mean, the Reds' defense? Like, how do you, how do you feel about that defense for a ground ball pitcher? Well, it's a good point. I do think that Barrero is going to take that job, and I think he's a really good defender. I think he's an interesting name. Uh, I think we brought him up in the shortstop rankings um uh, there's something about Barrera that i like and that'll improve things because then uh, suarez is you know only a third baseman and i would say he's maybe average slightly below average i would say india is probably average slightly above average vado is about average so i i I think defensively that infield with Barrero at short should be average-ish do you do you disagree i would take yeah i would take that assessment like with with Barrero like that yeah, but with Farmer in out. there, uh, I mean, I don't want to be or Suarez at short Yikes. mean to Kyle Farmer, but yeah, they they just the the way they went about thinking it's about cr- defense in their infield was just bizarre, just mm-hmm. really strange. Uh, for what it's worth, I, I see Frankie Montas goes uh, right next to Castillo. I prefer Montas to Castillo right now. I mean, Montas could get traded and end up in a more difficult park situation, but. Straight up, I, I think you're getting better ratios. I think you're getting similar Ks. I think what we've Stuff seen now is like so much better on Montas. It's funny too because Montas is the modern pitcher that Castillo isn't, right? Like mm-hmm. Castillo is almost a throwback. Montas is not great command, but just enough. You know, high riding four seamer and a great you know a great slider that falls off of that and a, and a developing splitter. So. I don't know. It's a, it's, it's maybe a more volatile profile, especially considering the suspension and the, and some of the health issues, but their health projections are similar and uh, Montas should have more K's and it's just the more modern profile. So I think of this group, the guy that's currently last at ADP, Justin Verlander, he kind of gets in because I think he's on the way up. People are increasingly confident in him. The more and more they look at him, Verlander's contract with the Astros is one year, $25 million plus a vesting option for 2023. That option vests at 130 innings pitched. And people are like, well, why does that matter? It's like, well, that's probably a number that he and his agent felt he could pretty comfortably reach Ooh, yeah. because it, it makes it like a two-year $50 million deal. I think the option's worth just as much as the first year, if I remember correctly. So there has to be some belief in his camp that 130 innings is very doable for him. There shouldn't be any real restrictions if he's feeling good and he's pitching well. Like there's no reason why he couldn't give you 180 plus. And we're talking about a guy that's had a sub three ERA ever since he got to Houston. 
I realize we're betting on a 39-year-old coming off of Tommy John surgery, which just is a ridiculous sentence to say out loud. But there's about three pitchers in the pool right now that I would bet on in those circumstances. And Verlander is one of them. And Max Scherzer is one of them. So if Scherzer had TJ and came back from it, I'd probably feel just as confident that Scherzer would come back and be good again as I am that Verlander will come well, back. You, you also and said be good Chris again. Sale. Yeah. The difference is we saw Chris Sale pitch a little bit. Yeah, and I I've never I've never really wanted to be the person that was like, oh, Chris Sale's mechanics and Chris Sale's frame, and I, I just worry about him coming back. But you can't look at him and look at Verlander and Scherzer and say, those three guys are cut from the same cloth. You just just can't. I don't know how much that (laughs) matters. But I I think with Verlander, it's it's easy to see him being a top 10 pitcher again. It's really easy to talk yourself into it. You've got him, I think, 17th among pitchers. I've been yeah. creeping him up my board every single time I've done a draft because I keep wanting to take him earlier and earlier. He was outside my top 30. He'll move up sooner rather than later. How early are you actually willing to draft Verlander? Given what's happening with the ADP, given all these circumstances, given where you have him ranked, like where are you comfortable jumping him up to? And you know how much does that change your, your risk profile with the rest of your pitchers overall? Like I mean, if you look at his projected IL days compared to everybody else 27.9 that's reasonably low like if you look at that that's less than Scherzer that's obviously less than DeGrom somewhat less than related Burns. to uh, Jeff Zimmerman's findings that there's a TJ honeymoon mm-hmm. and that uh, there's about you know 300 to 400 innings between uh, after your first TJ that you're not likely to have a second TJ right away uh, in terms of means testing, I'm in a draft right now, as I mentioned. Um, I couldn't. Pete Alonzo uh, was available to me in the sixth round. Um, I had been planning on on getting a pitcher there, and uh, you know I would have taken uh, maybe Charlie Morton there. Yes, I would have taken Charlie Morton there in the sixth round. But uh, Pete Alonzo was a $25 projected player available to me in the sixth round. I felt like I had to take him. So uh, I gave Morton away and was hoping that I would get Verlander on the way back. However, Verlander went in the seventh. Uh, it went Morton, Darvish, Manoa, Rogers, Verlander around the turn at 6-7. And I would absolutely take all of those pitchers right there and be happy about it. So. Yeah, so uh, continuing my pattern of drafts filled with regret. No, I, I actually, <laughs> I, I talked myself into loving the teams I build, even when it's not a good idea to love them. I was in the 13th position, 15-team uh, league. Yeah, I'm in 14, and it's awful. 13, 14, don't do it. If you could do it's, KDS, get out of 13, 14, 15. It's bad. It's, it's not great. You really have to be, I mean, you, you always have to, at an end, you have to be pretty comfortable just throwing ADP out the window and, and trusting yourself and saying, if I didn't take the player I wanted there, he probably wasn't coming back. Because usually if you're thinking about a player at a turn and you pass, early especially, he's not coming back. I took Jose Abreu with the third pick around six because I was loading up on bats in this league. And the reason I waited, because I said I saw Dylan Cease, I saw Frankie Montas, I saw Rodgers, Morton, Darvish, and Verlander. And I thought, one of those guys surely has to fall back to me in round seven. None of them were there. They were all gone. (laughs) Verlander, Clay Link got me two picks before my turn. Verlander was the only one who had a chance to make it back. 
and he went two picks before me. So in hindsight, if you said you can you could have a mulligan, you can take that six round pick again. I would probably, even if it's not Verlander, I would have taken a pitcher there instead. I would have taken one of those guys. Morton probably just ahead of Verlander, but I I see a case for Verlander ahead of Morton. I really do because Verlander was elite of the elite before he broke down. Yeah, I like them both a lot. Um, I've got them pretty high, as you mentioned. Uh, I I was super excited about that. I, I was definitely going to take Morton there. It's just if bats, what's happening is that because of all this aggression with arms, there are some really nice bats falling. I've got Semyon in the fourth uh, and Alonzo in the sixth and Contreras in the eighth and Yelich in the, in the seventh. I mean, these are all uh, guys who are projected to be $20 players or, or plus. I mean, you don't usually get $20 players at that point in the draft. So uh, it is difficult, but I still have enough names in my queue of pitchers that I like. Uh, and an Alcantara Rodon start uh, may make some of you uh, angry at me. Uh, I what? feel okay. I'm, I'm going to hope to double tap maybe some starting pitchers uh, when they come back and I think I'll, I can't say their names on the radio. That would be dumb. But uh, I'm still okay with the names that are on the top of my queue. Well, I tried the wait a really long time. You're, for you waited even longer than I did. So, And I, I got a who's who of uh, Jeff Zimmerman injury risk on this <laughs> roster. So I, I, I might have... I might have set the dials incorrectly. The, the concept <laughs> might have been good. Execution no, I love it. Might you're, you're going for the overall, dude. <laughs> yeah, I don't think all there your is guys an stay overall. healthy and a, you win it all. I think this is just a satellite DC. I don't think there's even an overall component. <laughs> but I'm playing with the overall mindset. Like what? What happens if you do this? Well, it's either going to be amazing or it's going to be a disaster. Like there's there's no <laughs> middle ground. You know what you could do since it's a draft and hold is. Uh, you know, I don't know how, how your bats have figured out, but if you had some extra eligibilities, um, like just devote two more spots to starting pitchers than you than you normally do. Yeah, I think there's a case to actually go lighter on catcher and say, if my Three catchers get hurt, whatever. <laughs> yeah, just say if they get hurt, I'll just take zeros and I'll just have more pitchers instead. I kind yeah. of back because I have so much what I think is so much surplus value throughout my lineup. I'm not going to miss mediocre catchers. If I have, if my catchers get hurt, it's uh, Max Stassi, James McCann. Maybe I'll throw one more on my bench to have three. If I lose those guys, the replacements are so bad. Why even bother when I could take more shots in the pitching pool and end up in a much better place? Yeah, and I, guessing and, right. You know, I've drafted uh, with a listener, co-drafted with a listener here uh, that. Um, the idea was you just had to have four people eligible at each spot. It didn't mean four bodies. Uh, so with multi-eligibilities, you might be able to say, hey, I've got four second basemen, even if even if I only have like, you know, t- two bodies that I would actually start at second, you know, or whatever, you know, that, even though it looks light, light there, I've got my four guys. So let me just devote that extra second baseman I would have drafted, you know, to starting pitching instead. It makes sense as someone living it right now, but uh, we'll talk a lot about the pitchers I drafted on the next episode because a lot of <laughs> because them came, you haven't drafted any because so they came from the middle, <laughs> the early middle rounds. Uh, the Who's your number part. one, dude? Tyler Malley. 
Nice. We didn't even get to him. <laughs> didn't even get to him. Round 10. And I'm proud of it. I love it. That's such an old school build for me. It's. Um, I want that team to win so bad. Uh, yeah, me, me too. But uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about why it won't win on our, our next episode. If you got any questions for us, as always, you can drop those our way via email. Rates and barrels at theathletic.com. On Twitter, he's at, you know, Saris. I'm at Derek Van Riper. This is a great time to get a subscription to The Athletic. You can get that for 33% off the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. It's pitching ranks from Eno. It's articles, draft kits coming up fairly soon. So lots of great content on the horizon. Plus, as we do each and every week, I should say, it's important if you can to drop us a nice rating review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. You can actually rate podcasts on Spotify. They open that up I don't know, a couple months ago now. So if you are listening on that platform, please take a moment to leave us a nice rating and review. We would greatly appreciate it. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. We are back with you later this week. Thanks for listening.